cover albums are nothing new for good and ill, but putting music to Shakespeare or Yeats or Plath or Whitman, that's a bit more rare. Who would you trust with that? If the dull substance of my flesh were thought Injurious distance should not stop my way What you're hearing now is part of iconic Australian musician Paul Kelly's latest project. It's from a new album called, weirdly enough, Poetry. He's also helped make a special classroom resource to encourage teenagers to discover the magic of poetry, like he did. Paul Kelly, welcome to Life Matters. Hi, Hilary. How are you going? Good. Good to have you here with us in the studio. The song we just heard a tiny bit of was Sonnets 44 and 45 by Mm -hmm. William Shakespeare. Tell us why you chose those sonnets in particular. Um... I put about six or seven sonnets to music over the years, and that is, they don't. I don't really choose it; they choose me. It sort of happens through sort of re- leafing through the sonnets, and I guess a musical idea appearing. So, I I've always I always love those sonnets. I like the way that they they work together. You know, that, the the first first sonnets about the four elements. So it goes earth and water first, and then air and fire in the second one. So that they link up, and um. It's kind of like um, that first one about uh, imagining that you could go at the you know at the speed of a thought. It's sort of almost science fictiony. So it's always had a, a great appeal to me. Well, I was going to say, I mean, how does a how does a musical idea leap out at you across four four centuries? You know, from ideas that came from before, but they are quite modern ideas in a lot of ways, aren't they? Yeah, the sonnets are amazing. They're they're, they're modern. They you know you, you keep coming back to them, discovering different things every time. Uh, they also very, you know, because they they rhyme and they they have these, you know, this structure. The structure actually suits, for, you know, pop music very well because of the fourteen lines. You know, three lots of four lines, and then a couplet at the end, a rhyming couplet in the Shakespearean sonnet. So, often the first two two lots of four kind of work as verses in a song, and then there's the the from the twelfth to the ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> no, <laughs> the ninth to the uh, ninth to the twelfth, the third lot of four. Four lines is act sort of. There's often what's called the turn or the volta that you know it's a change of point of view or introducing another perspective or idea, and that can that's how sort of a bridge works in a song too or a, a middle eight or whatever they call it. So they really they're really well suited to if you put together yeah use it couplet a couple of times, which I, sometimes I've you slightly rearrange the sonnet to make a, a song out of it. Or using that couplet as a chorus, and then you've got your verses and a bridge. Well, I was reading somewhere how you you sometimes get a bit bored with your own writing as a songwriter after years and years and years. Was using people's poems a way to kind of get around that? To say, look, I'll I'll use someone else's form, someone else's words, and try and put the creativity in. Uh, yeah, it was actually it was sort of accidental, really. I, I was asked to um, do a song cycle for ANAM, the Australian National Academy of Music, which is a school for young classical musicians from all around the country and to work with a composer, James Ledger, contemporary composer. And we didn't, you know, we sort of had a deadline for the, to do the show. We sort of said yes to it, sort of thinking, say yes and then figure out how to do it later. <laughs> the <laughs> then great thought, freelance oh, MO. I'm not going to be able to write, you know, words are, for me writing songs, the words are the slowest part. So I said, I'm not going to be able to write a whole lot of, a hot song cycle, a whole lot of words in time. Let's see if we can get some poems that around a theme. Before that, I never really put poems to music, or I never really written the words first. I had I had had the idea that that would sort of constrain the music or ma- make the whole thing run on, run on too rigid a rail, but I was completely wrong. And so, doing that show sort of really unlocked a key for me of being able to write, um, use other people's words for music, 
not long after we did that show, I wrote, I wrote my first sonnet, or put, put music to a sonnet, and then just, just kept going. So it's now not another way for me to write songs, which is pretty cool when you've been writing songs for 40 years and you suddenly find a new way to, to do it. That's what all writers want, you know. New, new ways to do things. So you're thinking now, I've got another 20, 30, 40 years left in me. It'd be great. Well, it's actually had, sort of had an effect on when I write my own words. And now sometimes I do write my words first and then, and then put music to it, which I never really used to do. We're speaking with Paul Kelly about his album, Poetry. Goes very well with a book that he put out a while ago called Love is as Strong as Death, poems chosen by Paul Kelly, 300 of them. So there's a bit of a theme emerging. And we'll talk soon too about an educational resource that he's helped put together that's up on the ABC Education website that's aiming to make sure that teenagers can have access to this incredible thing, poetry, that that can kind of uplift us and worry us and charm us and guide us through life if we let it. It's a very eclectic mix of poems, Paul, from several centuries, several different countries. What was the guiding theme? The guiding theme was just poems I liked and I wasn't worried whether they were really well known or really obscure. The guiding sort of organising principle was just to do it by alphabetical order because I knew that would just, uh, by title, I knew that would sort of mix things up rather than go chronological or, by, you know, group them by author or, or theme. You know, it's hard to sort of group poems by theme anyway because a lot of great poems are multiple themes, so... But having it in alphabetical order meant that you got you know modern poems next to old poems, funny ones next to serious ones, and uh, and then they often make sort of interesting connections that I wouldn't have thought of, you know. What's uh, one that stands out for you? An oh, I think having um, at the, having Sappho next to Tom, Thomas Hardy, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> neither of them would have expected to be yeah. next to each other. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love that sort of jumble. But I, I did read, you know, I, when the idea. Of, I was approached by um, the Penguin Random House, Nikki Christa there, to maybe do a book of favourite poems. And I, you know, had a whole lot right away that I thought, oh, yes, this and this and this. But then I also did, uh, a, you know, a lot of reading and, and made a lot of discoveries because, you know, just, you know, like anyone, I, there's huge gaps in my, in my knowledge of poetry and poets. And I tried to um, learn as much as I could. I did wonder if you were just carrying 300 poems casually around in the back of your head or whether you had to kind of go down a few rabbit holes. and Went down a lot of rabbit holes, which is great. I had a, you know, a, a long summer just reading poems at the back of the house in the sunroom. That was, you know, very enjoyable. Yeah, Paul Kelly. Hard life, hard <laughs> life in <laughs> writing music and, and poetry. Uh, a lot of the poems that you cover on this album are kind of more like stories. It's a really interesting mix of the kind of traditional poems and, and very non-traditional. You've got Maxine Beniba Clark, there's Yeats, Shakespeare, Whitman, Plath, Dylan Thomas. Let's hear a little bit of Life is Fine by Langston Hughes. I went down to the river I sat down on the bank I tried to think but I couldn't So I jumped in and sank Langston Hughes is an interesting guy, isn't he? What kind of caught your attention about him and his poem? Uh, That was actually a poem was sent to me by my partner, Sean. She said, you you could probably make a song out of this. So I didn't know that much about Langston Hughes then. This is about five or six years ago, and, um, you know, since read read quite a bit of him. He did write, uh, you know, 
political poems and all kinds of poems, love poems, but they often did write in a, in a song form. So, and he often did did write poems to be made into songs. So, that that one was was quite singy, I guess, straight away. That, again, that happened quickly. Generally, putting poems to music, it happens quickly or doesn't happen at all. Well, some of them seem like they're just built for singing. I mean, anything by Dylan Thomas, most of Plath and Philip Larkin, you could sing them by yourself. But um, is it easy to convert poetry into song generally, or is a lyric a different kind of beast? Um, like I said, it's, it's easy when it happens, and then, but yeah, again, I, it's just sort of through read, reading poems, and then something might spark up a, a little musical idea. So it's for me, it's easier than writing my own songs because lyrics. Lyrics are the hardest part, coming up with their own lyrics. But when you've, you know, you love a poem and you've got this beautiful set of lyrics that you really like for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, if you, you know, coming up with a melody for it and you've got a song. So it's, it always feels really quick to me. So. Well, and a lot of people over the decades have said that your music is a form of poetry and it works on them in the same way. Do you feel like there's something that poetry does that other forms of writing and music don't do, can't do? Yeah, I think it's, it, it sort of enhances and heightens life. It's an intense form of speech. I think poetry is really memorable speech. So it's good poetry sort of stays with you, becomes like a companion or something that you carry around with you. Um, you know, we use poetry all the time um, when we probably don't even realise it, but people do, you know, reach for poetry at ceremonial, ceremonial occasions, weddings and funerals and all kinds of gatherings, so it's 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 all around us all the time. Well, and you mentioned your partner, Sean, before. I understand that sometimes you guys communicate just in rhymes or haikus for a day or two here and there. I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive love language. But, I mean, is poetry something that can kind of do head and heart at the same time? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't really understand distinctions between head and heart, physical and spiritual. I think it's all mixed up mixed up together we th- we think feelingly and we we feel as we think so i mean yeah i don't i don't really subscribe to that, those kind of separations i'll try and force myself not to ask you for a haiku by the end of this interview paul <laughs> kelly paul do you remember the moment that poetry first became meaningful to you or kind of leapt into your consciousness as something you might be interested in well it was at school it was um studying macbeth uh, you know that that was just I guess sort of rocked rocked my head, you know. It's I still find the language of Shakespeare, especially in the plays, quite you know just just sort of thrilling. It's um, it sounds like it's just sort of being made up on the spot. Um, it's got that incredible sort of energy and um, heightened intensity. So yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I think Macbeth. And lots, some like the Greek tragedies. Some of them are, are great for for teenagers because they it's all in there, you know. Murder, sex, revenge, you know, your stuff you can really get stuck into. Um, we also did Jared Manley Hopkins at school, and again, he like he's like really strange. He's sort of really odd bird. I mean, just sort of so sort of dizzyingly rhythmic um, and playful. So. He appealed to me too for those reasons. Yeah. So this is like in the 70s in high school in Australia. How did that go down, this interest in poetry? Was that celebrated where you were? Yeah, I was at a Christian brother school. I mean, you know, some some people like poetry, a few did. 
I mean, Jerry Manley Hopkins, I think in the 70s in Catholic schools, he was he was the one you always studied. So probably uh, a few of us got quite sick of him. But yeah, he always stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting comparing people's experiences from school at that time. I find some schools are like, great poetry, go go sick, go to the library, read read up, that's fine. And everyone thought it was fine. I went to a small country high school, so it was kind of like this secret vice. <laughs> you would take seven centuries of poetry and English home with you and just kind of furtively read yeah. through the whole <laughs> yeah. lot and then never talk to, to anyone about it ever again. Did you kind of start to see poetry around you in other places? Pop culture, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, I was always interested in... in um in, in songs, and I started trying to pl- write songs when I was about um, 18, 19. Um, but, yeah, po- poems came out to me in different ways after school, for sure. M- you know, through my older brother was one. Walt Whitman was a big one. And Car- Khalil Gibran. So those kind of poets were in, in, the, in the air at the time, in the counterculture. And uh, so that, those poets led me on quite a few different paths. Do poems ever get worn out? You know, if they appear in one too many rom-coms, is, is that it for their power? I, I think a good poem never gets worn out. I know what you mean. It's like it's, there's some songs you think, with songs too, you think, I've heard that one too many times, it's a good song. But I think, you know, they can come back. You just uh, just maybe give it a rest and then go back to it. Or, you know, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I really don't think good poems get worn out. We're speaking with Paul Kelly, and we're going to hear another snippet from uh, his album called, weirdly enough, Poetry, based on what you call one of the greatest love poems ever written. It's called Quarantine. In the worst hour of the worst season, of the worst year, of a whole people, a man set out from the workouts with his wife. He was walking, they were both walking north. She was sick with famine fever and could not keep up. He lifted her and put her on his back. He walked like So you've got Irish heritage too, Paul, like a lot of uh, Australians. Mm. How did that poem resonate with you? It, it uh, sort of hit me over the head, I guess, when, when, I, when I came across it. I mean, the, the, some of the uh, lines in the poem, let no love poem ever come to this threshold. So the, within the poem, the author... Evan Boland, Irish author, she's she's declaring that it's an anti-love poem because it's a, you know a poem about a very hard, terrible thing that happened in the Irish famine. But what I thought what's really good about the poem is that it's, it's it is the ultimate love poem. It's a poem of love until death. The lines in the poem where. His, her feet were held against his breastbone, so they, they die in the cold, and obviously her feet have got cold. And he said, put your feet on my chest and I'll warm them up. You know, that's sort of pretty strong image. Yeah, yeah. For me, it felt like she was saying no other love poem can measure up to this brutal reality, you know, life in Ireland during the famine times. It's just, it's just a different world, world apart. You can't, you can't approach that concept. It's a bit like people saying there's no art after Auschwitz, you know, those two things are incompatible anymore. But it was, it was an amazing thing to hear it set to music, this kind of beautiful, relentless beat taking it forward. You could feel the walking that they were doing. Was that one of the poems that you heard from your auntie Pat? I understand she's at least one of your family members who loves a poem and loves a performance, and, and that happens a bit when you get together. Yeah, auntie, auntie Pat's left us a few years ago now, but um, no, we mainly had we were sort of the old, a lot of the old, uh, the old blokes 
from school, you know, Tennyson and Hardy was one, um, Keats, more of the 19th century poets. Quarantine by Evan Boland was more recent when I was, I was involved in a show putting uh, Irish poems to music about seven years ago. So that's when I came across a poem for the first time. And Paul, it's fascinating to me that you've had this streak of number one albums in recent years. The millennials love you, good taste millennials, but you've uh, been involved in this classroom resource too with the ABC to help get hold of even younger audiences. Tell us a bit about this resource, what's in it and what it does. It's, uh, it's kind of multifaceted, so it, it takes, takes, takes a palm and gives often has, gives you a couple of different performances of it, sometimes me, me singing the palm. Sometimes um, the other two people involved are Maxine Benimba-Clark reading poems and uh, Alice Keith. So Maxine Benimba-Clark re- reads one of her poems. She also reads some of the others. And, uh, yeah, it was that, that, that sort of came about because I was approached by the... We were... When the book of poems came out, my, the anthology, that was 2019, I think, See, time goes quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we did some, Alice and I did some shows to, around the country to sort of la- launch that and it was, they were filmed and then that's when ABC came up with the idea to, oh, let's cu- cut together some of the footage and, and then write some content and write some, write some questions and write some things about the poems uh, as well as having me talk a bit about the poems. And that's when... Um, that's when Emma came in and started to put put that all together. So it was really went out of my out of my hands then and over to Emma. Did, Paul's just made this gesture of handing over. <laughs> Here's the raw material. Now it's yours. Emma Jenkins co-created this new poetry resource with Paul Kelly and the ABC. She's Education Officer at the Victorian Association for the Teaching of English. Emma, great to have you with us today too. Thanks, Hilary. Thank you. Why is it so important for kids to learn about poetry? I think that poetry makes up just one part of a super important and rich literary diet that kids need to have in order to function, emote, express themselves in the world. So I think poetry is a crucial part of that. And I think there would be a lot of teachers in the classrooms who would agree with me and a lot of students who, like Paul, when they're at school, really love the opportunity to delve into poetry in the classroom. How do teachers feel about teaching poetry these days? Is it, is it easy or hard? I think, like most things, there's probably a bit of a mixed bag, at least, you know, when people ring me up, I get a a fair few comments either way. Um, But I think teachers could probably be a little bit reluctant because it it is so, um, it's open to so many different interpretations. And I think some of those ambiguities are what causes a little bit of confusion. There's a lot of um, interest in being right and presenting the right answer and poetry sometimes doesn't always have that and it's open to an individual interpretation, which is what makes it so fantastic and the, the, that's the beauty of poetry, right, is that we can all, you know, interpret something different from each piece. Yeah, some of my favourite times at uni were poetry tutorials which just end in open <laughs> argument for an hour. Um, is there a difficulty, do you think, for kids these days to connect with poetry or is it something they're really ready to do? I think... I certainly think having a resource like this with Paul Kelly as a frontman is definitely going to, you know, encourage students to delve a little bit more into poetry, particularly, as you said, the albums that you make, Paul, continue to be super popular amongst younger people. And poetry is studied widely across Victoria. There's several texts on the VCE text list in particular from a whole range of poets from different genres, eras, themes, 
and opinions, um, and they're all studied across Victoria, which is really great to see. But, you know, I think actually, I was going to say no, that maybe students weren't as, you know, weren't as keen to engage with poetry, but I don't think that's the case. I think now more than ever, they're probably exposed to poetry more than they realise. And particularly with the rise of Instagram poets, you know, we've got Bo Taplin or Rumi Kaur, those uh, poems that they see often and around all the time. So I think they're probably ready to engage with poetry and are interested in poetry and what they can express through the form. It can be a bit harder, though, to kind of wedge your way into Shakespeare or yeah. something like that, can't it? Because you've got to keep flipping to the back. To you've got to read the translation. Glossary. Of course, yeah. yeah. Shakespeare definitely poses a, a different hurdle, I think, because of those language difficulties that some students, or all students arguably have, because it's a totally different language. But, um, yeah, I think that once the language is aside and you can make an interpretation from it, see a dramatisation of it, a performance of it, then that makes it a little bit more accessible. Does it help to have people not just like Paul Kelly's, you know, video presence in the classroom in, as part of this resource, but people like Maxine Bonnieba-Clark, mm. who is um, part of Paul's project as well, and, and goes into schools and talks to kids about poetry and having that diversity of um, poetic styles and of poets accessible Absolutely. To. I think that's really important. And I was, I think one of the great things about the resource is that Maxine's reading the poems, Alice is reading the poems, Paul and Alice are performing them, because it re- you can really see how important poetry performance actually is. You know, it's written often for the ear, for to be performed and read aloud and having different voices, different accents. You can get the rhythm, the tone, the cadence of the poem um, and really hone in on that performance element. Yeah, so I think, you know, having people like Maxine out there talking about the fantastic work that she does and, and like this resource too is great. Yeah, it's so amazing, isn't it, going to see a Shakespeare play for the first time or, or some slam poetry yeah. or something and just having the words come off the page and hit you around the head, like you said yeah. before, Paul. Oh, that's what it's meant yeah. to do. So how might you like to see this resource used in the classroom, Emma? Do you, do you want to see some performance? Do you want to see people writing their own things? That would be fantastic. I think some of the best poetry units that I've done as when I was a teacher in the classroom did involve students getting up and performing their own poems. Um, so I think if students are feeling brave enough to be able to write their own poems and perform them, perform them, that would be as is intended of the resource, I think. Um, But it's it's been designed to be projected on the whiteboard as an interactive resource. So the idea being that a teacher can step into the classroom, click through the resources, and there's some questions in there, there's some poetic devices um, that are from the poems themselves, some discussion questions that the students and the teachers can work through, and then there's a little quiz that I did. I practiced the quiz. I only got five out of six. So <laughs> maybe it's too difficult, but there's a quiz at the end. So it's designed to be used in an interactive way, which I think complements the style of poetry nicely, the discussion, the thoughts, the feelings, the different interpretations. So I'd like to see it used like that. And I'd like to see some students writing some poems. Well, what do you see in students when they've been able to make that connection, when they kind of understand what what is in a poem? I think, you know, a lot of teachers will talk about that light bulb moment. And I, I would love to come on here and sound too cliche, but when students can connect the dots between, you know, the language that they're hearing, like you said, with Shakespeare and what it actually means on the page, or when they write their own poems and feel like they're able to um, emote in a particular way or evoke a particular kind of emotion that perhaps they haven't been able to before, it really is something special. Um, and that's why we stay in teaching, right, for those moments. Well, and it's like people, people talk about the novel being a pathway to empathy. Yeah. Poetry can do that too, can't it, but just in a really distilled, intense form. Exactly. I think you've got to cut out the noise, so to speak. I mean, that's not to say the novels are noisy, but, you know, <laughs> you've really got to hone it in. And the form, as you said, both of you before, the structure and the form in itself, the restrictions of a particular style, a particular line formation, a rhyming scheme, whatever it might be, tends to create better 
results, I think, and more creativity because you're limited and you're under pressure. You've got to make more concise choices, be more direct, succinct, whatever it might be. So I think you're right. Yeah, I, I've felt a lot of admiration during my high school and university years for poets. Wow, that is amazing what you've done there, man. Good on you. Um, Paul Kelly, what do you hope the kids get from this? Oh, I pretty much agree with Emma. I think just, I think, you know, just to understand that poetry is not, not really uh, this thing to be afraid of. You know, just have fun with it. Poetry can, can be your friend. Um, you can join the whole history of poetry by just starting, starting trying to write your own poem. So um, it's not... It's not that far off. It's not ungraspable. It's not unreachable. It's very much, it's like I said, it's all around us anyway. Um, certain figures of speech come that we use in everyday everyday life. Um, you know, vanish into thin air. You know, that that's from Shakespeare. So, we, we, our poetry is all around us. So I think it's just a matter of not being afraid of it. That's what I'd like like to happen. Because it can feel a bit inaccessible, can't it? For example, if you, I don't know, if you come from a background where it's its not part of your life or it's not celebrated, seen as something important to, to be interested in, or it's just the language is opaque because you haven't had access to the tools to unpick it. How do you get around that? Well, I think, you know, one way that schools schools these days are just, just start studying hip-hop. I mean, that's, there's all those things of, we talk about in poetry are in there. There's, there's obviously restrictions of, of a form because of the music and the beat, but there's heaps and heaps of alliteration and rhythm and internal rhyme and, um, and there's stories. So I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, lot of great ways into poetry through, through hip-hop. Is there any young songwriters that we should be keeping an eye out on who've got a really good ear for lyrics that you've heard lately? Uh, you know, I think uh, there's people like Dobby and Barker and um, a lot of great hip-hop all over the place. Briggs, uh, I'm probably not well across it as a lot of, lot of younger people. Says the man who's worked with Briggs and a whole bunch of younger people and quite often gives them a space on his stage to sing a little song. Thelma Plum, I think, is another one. Interesting. Uh, we're speaking with Paul Kelly and Emma Jenkins, who have both been involved in this education resource that brings poetry into schools and helps to hopefully crack the nut for a lot of kids. Paul, just to finish up with, what do you think might open your next 300-poem anthology of most love works? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I got I got no idea. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the good thing about um, poetry is that there's always there's always new ones coming coming along. Wasan Shire, who wrote the the, the poem "Home," that uh, is in the resource in, in the book, she's recently put out. You know, a, a book of her poems. She's been putting out sort of short chapbooks and short, shorter editions, but uh, she just released. Um, uh, a book of collected poems. I think that's that, that she's great. She's really strong, and uh, highly recommend her. Excellent, Wasan Shire, just one of the poets uh, that's been catching Paul Kelly's eye in recent time. Paul, thanks so much for coming in and chatting about your projects with us. Oh, pleasure. Thanks for having us. And Emma Jenkins, it's great to have you with us too. My pleasure. Thanks, Hilary. Do you want a do you want a haiku? Oh yeah, <laughs> Hilary Emma, a pleasure talking to you. Outside, it's raining. <laughs> The most Melbourne haiku ever. <laughs> Paul Kelly, so lovely to chat to you. Thank you. Pleasure. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.